Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hut, hut! It's time for Matthew Collar. Hut, hut! Hike one! Matthew Collar joining us here on the John Schuster Callbanker Hotline. Matthew, you can tell I'm fired up for some football right now. It's intense. Yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm so intense. I want to play center like Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> no, you don't. You get killed just like you did. <laughs> that was the – hold on. What did you see? What did you think? I got to get this. I, I, this has nothing to do with anything. But what was your initial reaction when they lined up like that? <laughs> well, I didn't realize it was Ezekiel Elliott when I saw it. Uh, I kind of understood – like, okay, they're going to put a bunch of people way outside and they're going to throw it to somebody and then try to pitch it around or whatever and, and look like none of these things ever work. I mean, it, it works <laughs> once a decade, right, where some team has the Miami miracle or the Minneapolis miracle or whatever. So, okay, I mean, you can pretty much – the game is over, so do whatever the hell you want except that. Uh, don't have – do not have your running back snap the ball. The other thing, too, that I didn't understand is – the receiver sort of caught it and looked like he was trying to kind of turn up field or something. It was like, I get it where you would snap the ball, throw it to the receiver super quick, and then start tossing it around. Yeah, I think but that's what he's trying really to do. do. Right, but they didn't even really do that. Like, he didn't get it out quick enough. No, he didn't have time. Didn't come to the ball quick enough. Like, what, what the heck? Like, yeah. everything about that was horrendous. But for them to end again – with like a no-show offensive performance against San Francisco, and then a hysterical play at the end was just like, are we living in a simulation where you know something went wrong? Uh, just what a crazy goofball ending to that game. Well, I the way that I viewed that final play because it was a goofball ending. You're right, but once the receiver caught the ball. I didn't think he tried to turn it up. I thought that he was looking to see who the next pitch person was going to be, and he just didn't have no time. Like it was this, it was a bad idea. It was, and like you, like you just mentioned, it never works anyway, so it, it doesn't really matter. But I just thought that the whole ordeal was was rather funny. But with that being said, this is the question out of that game. I want to get your assessment of Brock Purdy. Like, like how good do you think that he is? Because I, I haven't seen enough of him to say that he's the real deal. He looks the part of a guy that could be the longtime starter for San Francisco. I'm not sure how you can go back to Trey Lance at this particular point. No, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think that – I mean, well, for one, like they've put together one of the best uh, teams from top to bottom that you're ever going to see, right? Like this is Super Bowl caliber team. They're good at every position. You know how we're always talking about, well, what's the model to win in the NFL? Uh, be good at every single position and then have great coaching. And there you go. There's your championship model. Just go do that. Uh, but that's really the story of the Eagles and the 49ers. And I think what we've seen is Kyle Shanahan's offense, it not only is so well designed that it's easy on quarterbacks. That has long been the Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan, 
You go back to Matt Schaub. He had great numbers with Gary Kubiak. Uh, Brian Greasy won a bunch of games with Mike Shanahan back in the day. Like, that's always been the thing, is pumping up quarterbacks, making their life easy. But also, don't look too far from the number of players that they drafted at the skill positions that are absolutely phenomenal, and then they add Christian McCaffrey to that. There's four or five players on that team who can get open against man coverage or who can run 40 yards yards after catch. Like, there are so many options that Brock Purdy generally doesn't have to do too much. But where I've been impressed with him is really twofold. Number one, the guy gets rid of the football. He does not, like, wait around and struggle to find who's open. Like, he knows the offense, and he is an absolute command of that offense, very similar to Jimmy Garoppolo. But I also think that he's got just enough playmaking ability to do something special every once in a while. And, and those who watched him at Iowa State, he ran around and made plays actually quite a bit. So you sort of think of it as like, oh, is this like just a seventh rounder who's dinking and dunking like when Nick Mullins had a couple good games for the 49ers? I think that Brock Purdy is more talented than that, and he is a little bit of a baller. The thing that you have to worry about a bit is the pressure. He has not faced crazy pressure like he's going to face against Philadelphia. They led the league in sacks. And the other part of it is each game, there's a couple of throws that have not been picked off. They're like, oh, careful, Brock. Careful, Brock, because if you throw that interception, it's like a little Case Keenum-ish where if you throw that interception against Philly in Philly, you will not recover from it. Um, So I've been really impressed, and I think that they should run it back because none of those weapons are going to change, and clearly this guy can get them to the NFC Championship, and he's on a very cheap contract, so they can continue to add talent to it. Um, But I think we're going to need a bigger sample size to really know for sure uh, whether this is a Case Keenum-type run from you know maybe a quarterback who's not as talented or somebody who can be their franchise quarterback yep we're talking to matthew collar purple insider here on the lake show on news talk 830 wcco by the way you mentioned all the talented guys on the 49ers who was the most talented player in their organization trent williams i think um if it's not him it's nick bosa if it's not him it's debo samuel if it's, i mean they they're, yeah. they're a house man they I got mean, studs they, like this is this is kind of there's a Vikings point here as well, which is like they have a lot of these superstar players, and some of them are highly paid from free agency. Some of them were draft picks that became stars for them. In you know Nick Bosa came from kind of a reset year where Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, and then they drafted super high, kind of winking and nodding at the Vikings. But the other thing is too that they really don't have a weakness. I mean, I think their cornerback play is not perfect sometimes, but it's still pretty darn good. Uh, They have one of the best linebackers in the league in Fred Warner. They have a a pretty darn good offensive line overall. Like when you look at both of these teams and really everyone who's in championship weekend, you start to go, okay, where's the weaknesses of these teams? And they're very hard to find. And I think that was kind of a point about the Vikings all year where, yeah, the offense was pretty good, but it had its problems. And the defense was really bad. And, like, you just can't go into the playoffs and expect with a pretty good offense and a horrendous defense that you're going to be able to eventually play against teams like this. Like, that's the standard for your roster, and it sort of ties into the, like, this is why you need a roster reset for the Vikings. There is no way this offseason that you reach the standard of this team that has all pros all over the field. It's really going to take a couple of years to get there. So, with all of that being said, because we both respect the San Francisco 49ers, how do you view the Philadelphia Eagles? Because maybe I'm on an island by myself. 
I just think that the Eagles are going to win this game on Sunday. And I'm not saying it's not going to be close. I just think that I think that Purdy is going to have some issues with their defense. I think the Eagles' defense is going to bring it. And I think that – I don't even know what the point spread is. Do you know what the point spread is on the, on this game? Because if it's if it's two or three points, I absolutely think that the Eagles are going to cover, and I'll, I'll gladly lay the points. Yeah, I, I don't. I haven't looked. But I think that one of the really tough things here – is just going to Philadelphia. And uh, I have some firsthand experience with that. Going to that building, I've seen it a couple times for the Vikings. I mean, it's it's a scary place. It's, 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 there's not too many places that are still like this. I think back in the day, uh, the home field advantage was very serious and the raucous environment and everything else. But, you know, it's kind of dissipated over the years. That's still one of the the houses that you don't really want to play in, and you're talking about. I mean, one of the things that I have been impressed though by about Brock Purdy is that he doesn't seem to be shaken by this at all, like by the moment or whatever. I mean, he's just a very calm type of person, and I think you look for that. But this is a whole different thing, and you know, Philadelphia they they was just built this team that top to bottom is so stacked. Their offensive line is really the key to this as well, because if you're talking about, like, what is it about Dallas that has just mauled everybody in the playoffs and, and what made them so difficult against Dallas uh, for the 49ers, like, it was, it was their defensive line is just so strong, right? And it, it, it's been the case. But Philadelphia has a great, nothing sort of great offensive line. They have a great running game. They might be able to counterbalance how San Francisco has – slow down pretty much everybody's running game. And then you mentioned the Philadelphia defense. It can't be said enough how amazing their defensive line is too, and and that might make it a little bit tricky. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great matchup of two great teams, but I, I think Jalen Hurts is a little bit better of a quarterback, certainly more dynamic when it comes to the running element, and then that home field advantage I think is a pretty big deal. So I, I'm going to pick Philadelphia as well. Wait, hold up. You took San Francisco, right, Chris? Yeah, so me, me and Chris did an on-air bet. Um, he took San Francisco. I, I, I took the Eagles. All right, so l- let, me, let me ask you about what transpired with the Buffalo Bills and the um, Cincinnati Bengals. How surprised were you at how dominant the Bengals were in that game, also knowing that their offensive line was banged up? Yeah, only a little um, because – when the Vikings were playing Buffalo, I talked to a lot of my friends there because, um, you know, as you know, I'm from there. And uh, oh, really? I'd never heard that before. And yeah, yeah, I know. I'm not sure the <laughs> audience all knows that. So I talked to my um, friends there, and one of the things that they said was that this team was just not as good as 2021. That they didn't have as many weapons. That their offensive line was weak, and that once Von Miller went out, it was kind of a different story with their pass rush. And all the weaknesses, like this is the playoffs. Your weaknesses are just on display. Everybody's got stars. Everyone's got great cultures, great coaches, all those things. But it's your weaknesses that will get you because the other team is also strong. And they could not pressure Joe Burrow in that game. And I think the snow helped as well. And then on the offensive side, they pretty much have Stephon Diggs and nobody else. Gabe Davis is okay, but he's more like a number three wide receiver. Their tight end, who signed a big contract, is just not that good. Uh, and then after that, like they're trying to bring back the corpse of Cole Beasley, who can't really play anymore, and they can't run the football. And, I mean, they have not really been able to run the football in years. 
but there was nothing to lean on. It was basically Josh Allen do everything or that's it. It kind of reminded me, and this sort of shows my age, but you'll connect to this, uh, like with Randall Cunningham back in the day with Philadelphia, where he would get them to the playoffs. It would be super exciting and fun, but they just didn't have a lot or except, you know, they had a good defense, but they didn't have the crazy playmakers. They didn't have a great running game outside of him. They kind of said, Randall, go do it all. And eventually, someone in the playoffs is going to get you when you ask one player to go do it all. And I think that's what happened to Buffalo, that Cincinnati is just the, the more complete football team and both have elite quarterbacks. Well, Kansas City, they defeated Jacksonville, but it came at a price. Uh, clearly, Patrick Mahomes got injured, high ankle sprain in that game. Um, how does your view of the AFC Championship uh, game now kind of mold itself, or how, how do you view it now, knowing that Mahomes is not going to be 100%? Yeah, I kind of look at it uh, the same way that I have thought of like Tom Brady for many years, which is I'll bet against him, Mahomes, like when he's not you know, like playing anymore. I mean, I'm just going to always assume that he's going to find a way because what he did last week was just astounding. Uh, It was one of the all-time performances by any quarterback ever to be back there with that injury, which I know is really, really difficult for players to play through and find a way to to get them the win in that game. I mean, so I look at it as Cincinnati is a complete team. They are very, very good defensively. They're very creative defensively, and the way that they blitzed Josh Allen was super interesting. I mean, they would send blitzes that didn't look like it was going to be a blitz at all at the line of scrimmage, but I don't know that you could do that against Patrick Mahomes because the crazy thing about him is that he picks apart defenses on quick passes if you make him do it, Um, and he's just the MVP of the league, probably the best player of our generation. I mean, it's, it's hard to go against him. I think that uh, also, the pass rush for the Chiefs is way better than Buffalo. I don't even think it's close. Um, and, I, and that will cause them a little more problems for Cincinnati. I'm going to pick Kansas City in this game, but I do think that it's possible that that injury does catch up with Patrick Mahomes because he does use his legs so much. I just think like that the Chiefs have kind of things that fit a little bit better. But once again, you should take note on Cincinnati's side, multiple weapons, a lot of draft capital that was put into their weapons. Again, sort of hint, hint, nod, nod to the Vikings that you can overcome other stuff if you have three great receivers instead of one, just saying. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that is an amazing matchup. It's just two phenomenal quarterbacks, two great teams. I mean, this weekend should be just outstanding. Yeah, I look forward to it. Hey, Matthew, always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for adjusting this week. Uh, with me being out on Thursday with the funeral, but I appreciate it, my man. Uh, anytime, Henry. Appreciate it. All right, take care. That's uh, Matthew Collar joining us here on The Lake Show. All right, uh, let's take a quick break and pause, and we'll come back. It's time for Word on the Street. That's next year on The Good Name. And for the record, the line on the game between the Eagles and Niners are the Eagles are two and a half. Just so people know. Because people out there like the wager. They want to bet. What? No. They love doing that. Thing. Not in this state. Oh, wink, they love wink, it. Wink, wink, No. You they can't. can drive right down the road to, uh, what's the name of the spot? Uh, Diamond Joe's. Diamond Joe's. Diamond Joe's. Right across the uh, the border. I'm, I'm not familiar with Diamond Joe's. On the way to Mason City. 
Hey, Lynette Hardaway, a zealous supporter of former President Donald Trump, whose death had prompted widespread speculation over the cause. She died earlier this month of a heart condition, according to a death certificate obtained by the Associated Press. Now known by the moniker Diamond of the conservative political commentary duo of Diamond and Silk, she died January 8th of heart disease due to chronic high blood pressure. Now Hardaway and her sister, Rochelle Silk Richardson, found internet stardom as black women who ardently backed Trump during his 2016 presidential campaign. After making several campaign appearances with the former president, they leveraged their notoriety to land a regular commentator roles at Fox. Didn't work out because of vaccine mixed information. Went to News, uh, Newsmax. But the cause of the death has not been released by the family. It's become a topic of widespread speculation, and it was not listed as a cause or contributing factor on her death certificate, but no autopsy has been performed. Um, look, th- w- with this particular situation, I just got to keep it real. Diamond and Silk are liars, so I don't know what to believe. I'm just going to go ahead and roll with, with the actual with, with the, the actual alum, because they didn't do an autopsy, but, yeah. but, but the coroner's office said it was because of high blood pressure, right? Yes. Yep. So I'm going to roll with that, but you can never listen to Diamond and Silk, because they, they, they're telling a million different things. And they're telling lies a lot. Well, of you times. can't listen to Diamond anymore. Wow. Really? Wow. The woman's gone, man. Well, you can listen to Silk. The woman's gone, man. Come on now. <laughs> send your hate mail to him. <laughs> Don't send it to me. Send your hate mail to Chris Tubbs. Oh, uh, yeah, there's a special place for that comment. That's all right. According to some people on the text line, I'm already there. Oh. Hey, while Beyonce's concert... Get out the doghouse. <laughs> yeah, I'm firmly planning the dog. You know what? I don't care. Bring me a milk bone. Bring me a bring me a bowl of water. I'm fine. Hey, while Beyonce's concert in Dubai stirred outrage from some fans due to the country's anti-LGBTQ laws, her pops looks at it a little bit differently, saying that his daughter has incredible power to bring people together from all walks of life. Now, Matthew Knowles says Queen Bee united a really diverse crowd with her incredible performance overseas bringing people closer as she does best. Says people who weren't at the show might not understand, adding she gave respect and got respect back from the country, calling it an amazing moment. Now he notes his daughter's always stood for inclusiveness and believes everyone there uh, was there for love. Uh, Her mom, Tina Knowles, also said her daughter was pretty nervous before her big show in years, but she notes she uh, pulled it off and and it was a great trip. Uh, Wow, this is big. Just for that concert alone, she got paid $24 million. Oh, my. That's okay, I guess. Okay. Yeah. That's why she's... It's just, yeah, that's just... That's why she's Queen B, right? And, I mean, when you talk about, like, all of the anti-homophobic law and, like, all of the oppression that they've got towards certain groups, to have this sort of an impact as an entertainer is, it's, I mean, absolutely astonishing. Hey, the Yankees gave Aaron Judge 360 million reasons to return to New York, but it wasn't just about the money. His puppy is best friends with teammate and friend Anthony Rizzo's little pup, and the MVP couldn't split him up. Judge signed a nine-year, $360 million deal with the Yankees this offseason. He joined Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show, where he revealed that Rizzo's dog, Kevin, was one of the reasons he ultimately came back. Now, Judge, Stop it. that's what he says. Oh, God. He said that uh, they couldn't split him Why up. Why do these guys lie like that? 
This, this, these are blatant lies. Somebody else's dog had nothing to do with you returning to the Yankees. Stop lying, Aaron. How do you know that their dogs are not friends? Dogs can't have friends? Liar, liar, pants on fire. Wow. Why don't you just go with your, I'm rubber, your glue, whatever you say. Mine says something sticks to you. Jeez. All right. Well, I'm just going to bypass that. And say that no, the, Gwen, finish. No, 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 no. I mean, you you're the gullible one. No, no I'm just saying. I, well, I'm not going. I'm not going to say that Aaron Judge is a liar. Okay, so I, I called him one. He's a liar. You called him a liar, yeah, mm-hmm. just like Diamond is Silk. Well, at least we can hear from Aaron Judge. Send your hay mail to Henry Lake. Aaron Judge stands. Send it to him. And anyway, uh, Kylie Jenner was wearing a lion's head to a fashion show. She's getting positive reviews from an unlikely source in the world's most famous animal rights group, PETA, which kind of surprised me. That surprises the heck out of me. Yeah, they're on board with the wild outfit from Paris Fashion Week with their president, Ingrid, uh, Ingrid Newkirk, saying Kylie's look celebrates lion's beauty and maybe a statement against trophy hunting in which lion families are torn apart to satisfy human egotism. Now, she rocked the regal look Monday at a show in Paris, and she made sure to let everybody know it wasn't a real lion, saying, quote, it's a faux artist creation constructed by using man-made materials. Whew, good thing that wasn't a real lion head. That well, you don't want Peter coming after you. I, I mean, no. No, not at all. I mean, you you don't care with all your minks that you got in, the, uh, in your closet for the winter. Minks. You and Kim. Oh, yeah. I don't make minx money, man. I I don't even have like moles in mine. You know, you got links money, links money, <laughs> minx money. <laughs> I ain't got any kind of money. I ain't got anything that, that kind of rhymes with an inks. I don't have any kind of inks money. I don't even know what that inks money is. That's crazy. All right, that's gonna wrap up. Word on the street coming up next. We will um take a look at the local weather and well. <laughs> <laughs> Major League Baseball, this is, to me, this is actually becoming a little bit more of a problem. It seems like every year we're straining to get people into the Baseball Hall of Fame. The crime dog is in. Fred McGriff, did anybody else get in today? We'll tell you next. Congratulations to eight-time gold glover, third baseman Scott Rowland. He has been elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And so Scott Rowland elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame, preventing a shutout in the Baseball Writers of America balloting for the second time in three years. Uh, None of the other 27 players listed on the 2023 Hall ballot cleared the 75% threshold for election. We are in a very tough spot here. Because of the steroid stuff and all of that, mm-hmm. we've got people that – because Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before the steroids. Yes. Uh, do I think that A-Rod um, is a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I mean, he juiced, we, and we know that he got caught multiple times. I have no issue with Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland was always a hardworking baseball player, right? Like he was a – seems like a good dude. No issue with him. When I say the name Scott Rowland and I think of Scott Rowland, it doesn't jump off the screen, uh, screen, Baseball Hall of Famer. Doesn't. 
No, he. It, it's. It, it, they're, they're saying that Todd Helton might make it next year. Todd Helton's a Hall of Famer. I don't think of Todd Helton as a Hall I, of Famer. I, so, I think we have a problem here. I really do, and I'd love to hear from some reaction from from baseball fans at six five one four six one nine two two six. We're getting to that point where we're putting in people that I don't think that the typical fan would say Hall of Famer. I really don't. Yeah. So 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 let's look at these numbers. Okay. Scott Rowland got in with 297 votes. He got 76.3% mm-hmm. of the votes. Todd Helton was short at 72.2 with 281. Um, other modern-day people that I think of, Andrew Jones at 58.1, 226. Andrew Jones was a badass. I got to be honest, though. Andrew Jones doesn't scream Hall of Famer to me. No, no. He was a great part of those Braves teams of the mid-90s. Like he and Lavi, uh, you know, Javi Lopez. And I mean, they, there were a you know, Chipper Jones. There were a lot of really good players on that. But I, I don't consider Andrew Jones to be a Hall of Famer. There's no way in the – look, I get that people are upset and they have a, a certain feeling about A-Rod. There's no way – that Jeff Kent, Carlos Beltran, Gary Sheffield, Mm-mm. there's no way they're higher than than a- I'm sorry. No. Do, do e- either, think- either, either, either don't have them on a list or just go ahead and say, well, you know what, we got to do something about this. Well, I, I don't think we're ever going to get past the stain of the steroid era. Then why are we like, got him eligible then? Well, it just. Because he's better than these names. Well, because it. To me, it's like you got to let these people run their course with the amount of time that they can be on the ballot, even though they're never going to get in. Mark McGuire, never going to get in. Rafael Pamiro, never going to get in. Alex Rodriguez, never going to get in. They're not even – I don't even see their – Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I I mean, you're going to let this cycle through, and you could make the case for Barry Bonds because his days with the Pirates, like that Bobby Bonilla, Andy Vance, like Barry Bonds trio – I was pretty damn good. Like Barry Bonds was a star before he even went to San Francisco. Yes, and and he didn't he didn't need that. But I mean, history is what it is. But I just feel like we're going to lower the bar, and anybody that may be perceived as clean, I feel like anybody that is not associated with that in that era, now I feel is going to be given a little bit of a bump because we never think of. Scott Rowland is being that guy. I no. never thought of Scott Rowland as a Hall of Famer. I, I mean, I, it's a, as, as well, being dirty. What's name just got in? Fred Crown Dog. Yeah. I mean, she, I, I, don't mean th- I don't I don't think of Fred McGriff as being a, a Hall he of Famer. He was close, though. Fred McGriff was legit. He was he was close. I, I think that he, he got a legit case. I not now now no, I'm with you. I'm I'm in agreement with you. Like when I think immediately of the name Fred McGriff, yeah. I think of the Tom Amansky. Commercial. Yeah, is Tom Amansky going to be doing the induction speech? Because that would be great, right? Because I mean, Tom Amansky <laughs> is the one that is responsible for Fred McGriff, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, but the thing is, like, some of the guys, like you know, Jim Cott, Tony Oliva. Let's talk to those two guys that, that went in last year. Those guys had to go through the veteran committee. I, is Tony Oliva a better player, a Hall of Famer, more than Fred McGriff is? And I'm not throwing any shade at Fred McGriff. But to me, Fred McGriff was a guy that just kind of got – he was amongst a lot of really good guys. 
to me, a Hall of Famer has to stand out. And I feel like by lowering the bar to a certain extent, I feel like we're just, I mean, I see Billy Wagner here too. And I don't think of Billy Wagner as being a Hall of Famer. Like, I just I see this and I it, maybe it's I mean what's the thing he played eight he played nineteen years, but he he's even in nineteen years he had less than twenty five hundred hits. Hmm. How many home runs did Fred McGriff have? Four ninety three. I was gonna say he was just short of five hundred. I thought he had like four ninety eight, but I maybe Tom Amansky didn't do a good job that we thought he did because <laughs> he should have four ninety eight. I don't know, man. I think that we're I think we're to the point. Where guys are getting in because they're good dudes. Yeah, and I think there is something to because, be said about that. Because yeah, we are now. It's it's more about the character. Like you go back and and you hear stories about you know guys like Ty Cobb, just these openly racist, awful people, but they were great baseball players. We're now punishing people for having questionable characters, or if they don't get along with people, they don't play well with the media. Like they're, you're being punished. And there's got to be that separation that even though a guy might be a jerk, if he's a great ball player and he's clean, but that's the thing. Like, I feel like everybody right now in that era is guilty by association. Everybody's going to be under the microscope. I mean, Scott Rowland, for a good majority of that, we think of him for his defense. And, I mean, he was a best third baseman defensively, I think, for you know a, a solid 10 years. But he did have that little bit of that offensive pop that I think maybe gone, you know, went under the radar. But again, you know, I I feel like we've got to get past this perception of the steroid era, and then maybe it'll be a little bit more difficult. But I I'm okay with one guy getting in. When you get like three, four, five guys getting in, and then you're like, okay, and then you got to go to the veteran committee, and then it's like, I I don't know. It, it just it starts to become the hall of just very good instead of the hall of fame. Yep. All right, uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. A little bit of controversy I'm creating on Twitter at this very moment. I'll get to it next year on The Lake Show. All right, something I want, I want to, 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 to do here is everybody knows that I love gopher basketball. Like me and my buddies, we would sneak into the barn back when we were little kids. All right, so... I loved working coach Clem Haskins camps and being around the guys and stuff like that. Like this, if stuff was, so I, I love the maroon and gold, but I'm not going to, one thing that we have to not do is get caught up in rankings. I think that people get, we get caught up in rankings. A bit, uh, uh, so the reason why I bring this up is because we're having a little bit of a back and forth on Twitter right now is between Marcus Fuller, friend of the show, mm-hmm. Minneapolis Star Tribune, my buddy Darren Wilson from KSTP and myself about Dennis Evans the third, the recruit that um, the the center recruit that's coming to the Gophers next year, right? Okay, yeah. He didn't make the McDonald's All American game, and Marcus had tweeted that he's ranked as the number two center in the country by rivals and two four seven sports. He wasn't picked for the game. Definitely biggest snub this year, best shot blocker in high school hoops. I, let me say this. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's not the best shot blocker in high school hoops. He probably is. I, I think that we're setting this kid up for failure because I don't see it with Dennis Evans. I'm not saying that he's going to be a bust. I'm not saying that he'll never. 
I don't see this all-world talent. I just don't. I'm sorry. But I think the hype, though, when you get the hype of somebody and we're so desperate for something like that, like you want somebody to choose Minnesota, yeah. I think people want him to be that guy. So. I, don't, I don't want hype. I don't want hype. This is Tim Brewster. We don't want hype. I want players. That's what I want. I want players. But I think fan, fans want hype, though. You're getting no Fans should not want hype. That is how you get your hearts broken. Fans they, want to be excited that somebody's excited to come here. No, fans should want good players. Stop getting into the hype and all of that. You will have your heart broken like the Jelly Kid, Jelly Fam, and it never worked out here that Richard Pertino bought. I'm, I'm telling you guys right now, I've been watching go for basketball for a long time. The Courtney Jameses and all the, I'm yeah. not sure that this guy is better than Miles Tar- Tarver. I'm dead serious. I, I just think that we got to pump the brakes here. That's all I'm saying. And I'm look. I know that he's played USA basketball, and I know that he's a solid, you know, recruit and all that. I'm not saying he's trash. Do not do not take this as Henry Lake is saying that he's trash. I'm saying he's a project. That's what I'm saying. I think he's lanky. I think he blocks some shots. He's he's not he's not like some offensive threat. He's not super athletic. He didn't yeah, but, jump out the gym. Yeah, but you, you want, I mean, f- fans want to be excited about something, especially a fan base. That's not like what we're Minnesota. talking about, Chris. I, I, uh, it's not about that. It's not about what we want to be excited about. You want somebody that can play in the Big Ten. That's what you want. That's what you want. You want somebody that can play in the Big Ten. You don't want Darson, Darson Gar- Garcia going to North Carolina and then he can't play in the ACC. Right, but, but you've got, I mean, when Marcus Fuller's talking about how he could be one of the biggest snubs. I mean, He said he's one of the biggest snubs of the McDonald's All-American yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, that, but that's what Gopher fans want to hear, though, that he was one of the biggest snubs because he's got this talent. No. And that's what you're bringing you're in. You're missing my point. I am saying, and first of all, I'm saying he's not a snub. And secondly, not only is he not a snub, I don't want him overhyped because when he comes here, if he falls flat on his face, then who's looking poorly? Then who looks poorly? And then you've got Gopher fans that are pissed off day and night because Dennis Evans is a project and he doesn't see the basketball court. Dennis Evans got nothing on, on the Pharrell Payne kid that's there. I'm telling you that right now. We, we have to pump our brakes with this. I'm dead serious. I'm ranting. And it's over. And we got Tim Rose tonight, tomorrow night, right here on The Good Neighbor. Talk to you then. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.